Hey there, welcome to SaaS Inbound, brought to you by SaaS Group. I'm your host, I'm Dana, and this is the show where we chat with inspiring founders and experts to get an inside scoop on how they made their business a success. And today with me is Janis, co-founder of Atriba, a cross-channel digital marketing management platform based on data-driven attribution modeling to make marketing more transparent and help brands become independent of the big advertising platforms. And I'm really excited to see you here and learn how you're doing it. Hi, Anna. Thanks for having me on the show. Really excited to be here and uh, discuss with you. Sure. Awesome. All right. Well, uh, I guess first things first, maybe let's let's dig a little bit into your background and how you came to building the company in the first place. Yeah, sure. So I studied computer science at some uh, time way back and was always fascinated by this uh, promise of data science to somehow be able to look into the future, predict stuff. So I didn't uh, develop to be a kind of typical software engineer, but was always interested into, you know, using data to increase the quality of decision making. And ultimately, that led me to my first job at the Auto Group. Some of you might know this, one of the biggest e-commerce businesses in Europe, at least. And there I started really in an area where we used data to optimize the send out of catalogs. And so rather offline sort of optimization problem with machine learning and data science. And that was very fascinating because we then also obviously at some stage started optimizing the online part of of the business uh, with machine learning in terms of recommendations. And at some stage, I kind of got tired of the whole corporate environment, went to, at that time, a very new startup, which was called OpenBC then, and then turned to be Xing, as some of you might know it. I started there when Xing and LinkedIn were approximately the same size, both had around 2.5 million members. And that was also very exciting times because they just done their IPO. So Xing has done their IPO way before LinkedIn had. And I basically built the customer intelligence team and, you know, we did stuff like finding out who's the most valuable member on the platform. So who's the most connected member. We used things such as the Google PageRank algorithm to find that out. And at some stage, I figured that I want to move in a, do something completely different. So I did an MBA in Cape Town, South Africa, 2010. So the World Cup was going on there and a lot of kite surfing. And I also studied for my MBA. So managed to complete my MBAs. Some saw it as a miracle. At least my colleagues in the, uh, the my colleagues from the studies were sometimes wondering how I managed to get it done while spending so much time on the water. And it was really it's amazing good times. Balance. Yeah, good. Also, best work-life balance I ever had, to be honest. So I was, I, I basically had my so school started at I don't know seven or something like that. Then right after it, I went to the beach, kitesurfed when the wind and weather and waves were perfect. I had some dinner and then studied till I don't know eleven uh, or midnight. And then same stuff again next day. Awesome, it was really great. And great. in the end, yeah, it was amazing times. And at some stage, I had to move back back to Germany. Um, had to get rid of my MBA debt, so to say financially and started working at an uh, online marketing agency and that's where i really first uh, got touched with the topic of marketing attribution and applying all the data that was around in, yeah, in online marketing to really optimize marketing and that's also kind of where i you know kind of understood the potential of the what we are currently doing with atriba of how to use data and the, the massive amounts of data available for 
optimizing marketing decisions. Yeah. Okay. All right. Sounds perfect. But as always, you know, uh, founders talk about this, this inspiration and, you know, a lot of people get inspired. Not a lot of people build businesses out of it. So how did it get from, you know, from inspiration, from seeing that there is a potential to actually building something and getting your first customer? Ah, uh, yeah. Great question. Because even I saw, you know, that there is a potential for this idea. I, you know, it took me another three and a half years to eventually jump into the cold water and start building a startup. So back at that uh, stage, I was at Jimdo, the website builder toolkit, so to say. Awesome company, awesome founders, really inspiration also for me to, at some stage, build my own company. And that's where I met my co-founder. And then we, in 2015, so my first kid was born back in 2010 when I was in Cape Town, uh, my daughter. And then in 2015, my two sons, my uh, twins, were born. And I thought, okay, now with three kids, you know, nothing can go wrong best anymore. Best time to start. Best, best time to go, you know, Hail Mary and, you know, just go for it and build a business. Um, eventually, my inspiration, my main inspiration was, you know, what kind of father figure do I want to be for my kids? Do I want to be an employer or do I want to, you know, at least show them that I tried to do it? It wasn't about, you know, necessarily having to be successful with it. But what I always try to teach my kids is go for it. Try it. Like it's not, you know, the result doesn't necessarily isn't the most important thing. But what's way more important is that you've tried it because you don't want to at some stage have the regret of not, you know, not doing it. And yeah, I'm also my father's from Yugoslavia. Maybe the two sons were this uh, thing where I thought, OK, I cannot lose anymore. I have everything I need. And, uh, you know, why shouldn't I just build the business? And yeah, I mean, logistically, it was a bit of an effort financially, as you can think about. We had, back then, there was still an accelerator program, a Next Media Accelerator here in Hamburg. And there still is the Next Commerce Accelerator. They are also doing an awesome job. But a Next Media Accelerator, we were in the first batch. We got 50,000 to, you know, as a kind of kickstart for, for funding Atriba. And I think what was my, my tip for every aspiring founder would be to try to get some sense of whether you will actually be able to make revenue of it before you build the whole product. So this, you know, typical lean startup MVP approach that was really helpful to us. So eventually we didn't build, you know, a whole, the whole system with the, uh, you know, dashboarding and the exports that we have nowadays. But what we did instead, we, is, we had a company that wanted to test our solution, our, our MVP, we had them implement a tracking snippet that was sending tracking requests to my co-founder's personal AWS account server. So there was no, there was not even a company officially set up. So it sounds a bit bogus, but then it was possible. And then he sent the data, the tracking logs to me, the aggregated ones, and I did some you know, magic in Python and developed, like did the whole attribution modeling and fed the results into an Excel sheet. And that Excel sheet was our, you know, our results that the client got. Every, every two weeks, they got an updated Excel sheet with the marketing performance report, the cross-channel based one. And That's at some stage cool. we had, yeah, I mean, it's very MVP, right? It's very, yeah. <laughs> it's extremely lean. There's no system in place whatsoever. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it was great to figure out if clients found this useful. And I remember this point in time, we were sitting at this uh, at this company presenting them the results, and then I was so hesitant to ask for it. But at some stage, I did. Was like, would you actually be willing to pay for it? Let's say four hundred euros per month. 
And I remember that. And, and I remember them saying, "Yeah, yeah, of course." We were, you know, kind of wondering when you'll ask for it. But yeah, of course we pay. <laughs> and that okay. was the uh, yeah the first revenue we did uh, without even having founded the company. So that was before we officially founded the company. So. And that was also what the investors, like the first investors, kind of liked about it, uh, that we had revenue really early on, uh, proving the value of what we were doing. Yeah, yeah, no, it's super important. I mean, like you said, it, it was, yeah, it was maybe possible before. Now there's a bit of a higher threshold to like what you have to go to the market with. But yeah. still, like once you get this, like, oh, there it is, there is your value and there is your little aha moment. Yeah, that's kind of all you need to to go with and then you just have to be fast to like actually build the thing yeah ex exactly i mean nowadays back then it was again 2015 gdpr was in place we didn't have to have an official dpa so data processing agreement nowadays you would have to have all of that like rightly so in place because we were gathering personal data but back then yeah it was still possible but i mean still even nowadays you should really think of do you actually need a dashboard or can you just you know uh, put into an Excel first to figure out if it's yeah. a valuable client. And that's that mentality we really try to keep on. So when, you know, showing new features to clients or to potential clients, we try to really focus on what's the minimal viable thing that we can show to the client to figure out if they find it valuable. We're not always mm -hmm. thinking about, you know, how does it like ultimately have to look like in the dashboard, but rather just focus on how do we What's the best way to get valuable feedback from our clients, whether we should actually implement and build this? So that attitude kind of stuck with me. And I think, I mean, there's a lot of dissing of, you know, marketing agencies nowadays, but my marketing agency side or performance agency sites were really valuable in that regard because we always sell products and services that we didn't have yet. So we always, you know, sell the service. So when I was starting at that agency, when I got back from Cape Town, South Africa, they already sold customer journey analytics and attribution modeling, but they didn't have that service implemented yet. So they, that was actually my job to build that because they've sold it to some of the biggest clients already. And that attitude, I mean, it's a bit risky. You need to be, you know, a bit of a risk taker. And sometimes it's a bit difficult to find people willing to go that route. But it's way, I mean, we are, in the end, we are not, you know, building airplanes or, you know, saving starving children or whatever. Yeah. So it's... You need to, the, the higher risk is way, you know, the way higher risk is be, being too slow and not innovative enough and your competitors overtaking you. That's a much, much higher risk than, you know, yeah, yeah, putting exactly. out something that might be a little bit flawed. Um, yeah. 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 We were talking with Jason Fried about that, like how a lot of founders are like just afraid to put the idea out there because it's yes. maybe not ready. You know, we don't have like the competitive advantage yet. And what he said was, you know, something that you should really be afraid of is people not noticing what you're doing then, you know, people yeah. noticing it and like doing something about it, because then it's not about your, you know, the mode that you're building. It's about the way you're selling and like the value that you're providing for the customers. And then there, you know, you can be as different to whoever is your competitor as you can. So great. I, I really love the, the, yeah, the mentality that you're talking about. It's kind of what we are striving for at SaaS Group. But it, it, it just, just yeah. let me just add to this because it's such an important topic it's because it's specifically true for the best engineers out there because the best engineers, developers, software engineers, they always have this aspiration of putting out high quality products 
and that's detrimental in terms of you know putting something out that might work you know quality has is maybe up to 80 percent but not 100 percent so it's a huge act of balance yeah 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 we were in hamburg actually almost a month ago there was a code talk conference for techies for coders and Bridget Harris was doing her speech about how she built You Can Book Me. And she said, like, there were so many projects and so many products before that. And they just all went to the bin. And then she asked, like, who in the audience had done that? Because and like, you never went to market with it because it wasn't good enough. And I think like 90% of people just raise their hands. And they're all developers. Mm-hmm. And it's just yeah, so it's yeah. just exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, it's not good enough, but you still have to, yes. yeah, try. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah, okay, but it's been, you know, it's been, what, eight years since you're on the market. From that Excel sheet, you went a long way. So yeah. how did you prioritize, like, from that first customer, did they have, like, a great effect on your product roadmap for sometime after or were you able to kind of get more customers right away to to see what everyone wants and to kind of not just like build for this one company but have your vision and then have validation and have different opinions from different customers yeah so i guess thankfully we've been in this accelerator program and they were really pushing us to focus on sales and acquiring further customers because otherwise uh, we would have just optimized the product for this one first customer and fallen into this you know customization trap so to say building the best product as engineers for that particular customer instead of you know focusing on the 80 percent that are really important for all of the uh, potential clients out there and then we basically went through so I mean, in the last eight years, everyone who knows about marketing and tracking knows that there have been some significant changes. 2015, we call it the still the beautiful ad tech days. Everything was trackable. There was some like really yeah. s- strange stuff going on. Real-time bidding, programmatic advertising, some of the biggest traffic producing industry out there. And that changed quite significantly in 2018 with GDPR coming into effect and restricting you know, what's trackable and what's not. And then following from that, all the restrictions that Apple has put in place with ITP and these technical frameworks, basically disallowing tracking companies to, you know, get the data that they were able to get before. And and now, the, just now, the most recent thing that will happen is the death of third-party cookies, which everyone is also now talking about. So tracking will, again, be more complicated. So we always had in the past eight years to really quickly adapt. And um, we always saw ourselves, you know, as a small sort of Navy SEALs team that can kind of quickly run from battlefield to battlefield and not this huge army. So we kind of, you know, knew that the changes were coming. We also had clients, kind of our most, one of our more prominent clients is Flixbus. And they, at, at some stage, they bought Greyhound Bus in the US. So, and they really pushed us. So they've been one of the best performance marketing companies. And they grew with performance marketing and digital marketing quite significantly. And outgrew all the competitors, outgrew the Deutsche Bahn, etc. But at some stage, they were looking into, you know, offline marketing. And, you know, how do we actually, you know, build our brand? So that's when they also, so besides the, like all the regulations and technical restrictions that were put in place, then 
we also had our clients suddenly asking us to, okay, how can you evaluate offline marketing campaigns, which was something that we, you know, when we started off, weren't really thinking about. And that's, again, where we had to adapt. And that's, I think, our core strength to be really adaptable because nobody has really figured out until now how, you know, this whole marketing optimization thing will be looking like in five years from now, particularly not, you know, three or five years ago. So yeah, long, long answer to your question. Sorry for that, but I think it's quite important. No, 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 it's perfect. To, to mention that it, it, it's so important for, you know, startups and businesses, at least for us, it was so important to be willing to adapt and be technically capable of adapting. Because one thing is you see yeah. what's necessary and, you know, what you need to do. And the other one is, are you capable of actually implementing it? And for that, you obviously need the, need the right culture and processes to attract talent, to retain talent which we've always been able to do in the technical areas. Looking for new ways to find customers for your SaaS business? Consider adding an affiliate or customer referral program. Rewardful is the easiest affiliate tracking platform to set up, manage and scale for SaaS companies. Log your customer acquisition cost and only pay based on results. Integrate Rewardful with your Stripe or Paddle account and set up your affiliate campaigns in minutes. Rewardful automatically tracks referrals, calculates commissions, handles upgrades and downgrades all seamlessly in the background, whether you sell one-off purchases or recurring subscriptions. Companies like Podia, Copy.ai, Barometrics, Synthesia, and many, many more are already using Rewardful to add that sweet, sweet MRR to their businesses. Sign up now at Rewardful.com for a free 14-day trial and turn your biggest fans into your best marketers. Yeah, so let's talk about the team a little bit, right? Uh, how big is it? We are 19 people right now. And of these 19 people, I think like 10, including myself, have had some you know, industrial level machine learning experience. So that's, mm -hmm. I guess, what makes us quite unique. Also, when looking into our competitors, oftentimes have much, much bigger sales marketing teams. And we, like, relatively speaking, have high share of, you know, engineers, data engineers, machine learning engineers, because we know that, you know, we couldn't have kept a client such as Flixbus happy, who was also comparing us to all the different solutions out there, all the US-based yeah. solutions, if we wouldn't excel in this, you know, actual engineering, machine learning part of the business. And so for us, it's really crucial to have this sort of engineering driven culture. Sometimes when we talk to investors, they are amazed on how few people we have in the sales and marketing department compared to how engineering heavy we are. But so that's, that's kind of the answer to how the team looks like. Right. Um, yeah, sure. How do you make sure, because while I was researching about you and the company, I've noticed that you are writing about contributing to the future of work and just the hacks that help you to attract and retain the best talent. So could you share those hacks and like, what, what exactly do you mean by future work? Yeah, sure. So we have a, let me think how to best answer that. So, I mean, culture is sometimes a bit overused word for that. So we rather talk mm -hmm. about like our, the Atriba operating system, how we want okay. people to operate with each other, because you can have all these, you know, nice keywords on your wall and say, this is, you know, yeah culture, eat strategy, blah, blah, and all of that. But in essence, it's uh, culture is what, you know, really live by and what you do. So for us, 
One key component is obviously that you know people have the maximum amount of freedom while working for Achiba, but also maximum amount of self-initiative and um, responsibility. And that can be challenging for some, specifically for people that have been working at large corporates because they're not used to that. But for us, the, this freedom aspect is quite important and also comes from my personal experience that, you know, I think it's really important to let the people decide for themselves when they want to work and from where they want to work. So that ultimate, and we did this long before COVID came into being and everybody went into full remote. We had our people, you know, work from wherever they wanted to. And I think that's one that doesn't sound like a unique HR uh, thing anymore today. But adding to that, we were also always looking into having, you know, the people take on as much responsibility as they want to and really, you know, understand also the context that we operate in. So meaning we are very transparent with regards to our financials. We talk like we have a weekly meeting where we talk about how the business is going, you know, what churns have happened, what, you know, sales, how the sales pipeline looks like, all of that. And I think, you know, because if you hire talented people, they will quickly understand if you try to bullshit them uh, or sugarcoat things that are really going bad. Um, so I think that's important. People will appreciate it that if you're being honest to them. Uh, sometimes it leads to people leaving the company because they decide for themselves, this is not the right place. This is going a bit too much into a roller coaster direction. Yeah. Um, but on the other hand, I think that's much better than trying to keep them on no matter what happens. And yeah, so that, that's, that are the most important aspects in terms of our, you know, operating system. So we also, in, in HR interviews, try to, we work with something, concept called desired behaviors. So instead of making it fluffy and say, okay, this is our culture and we want people to be self, have a maximum amount of self-initiative, what we'd rather do is, you know, tell them exemplary what are desired behaviors and what are undesired behaviors. So for example, yeah, sure, you can take a day off very spontaneously. Uh, you can work from the you know Baltic Sea or Northern Sea if the wind is good and the waves are great. But if people then have to wait for your input, then that's not so great. If they, you know, other team colleagues cannot continue their work because they have to wait for you getting off the water, that's not so good. So you know, make it very specific instead of uh, having some fluffy culture proposals out there. Right. Okay. So full transparency. I think I think it's yes. it's perfect. Like you go into your new job, and it's better to have all the cards on the table and like know what would be tolerated or like what they like or where you would not be understood yes. very much, right? How to yeah, yeah how like you said how you how to operate with other people. I think that's brilliant. But yeah. there was something that you mentioned before. You said when we were talking to investors, right? And I know that. Lately, you went back to bootstrapping, but you raised a couple of million in 2021. So yeah, from 2021, everyone says, you know, the VC climate and just like the whole investment situation just went downhill and companies have to now be more profit focused, revenue focused. So basically just do everything to survive. So yeah. how has it worked for you? with that investment, did you have to adjust and like really spend very frugally, very cautiously all that money? Or did you go into profitability fairly fast after investing this money? 
Yeah, good good question. So, I mean, we also raised money before um, our last financing round. So before March 21, I think, was our, officially was our Series A, I think. So and then the aim with the Series A, obviously, with investors joining is the Series B. That's why these mm-hmm. names are out there. And the beginning of 2022, so right, as you mentioned, um, you know, everybody kind of saw the difficulties with the, I think the trigger was more or less the uh, increase of uh, the interest rates by the Fed in the US. So these these multiples that SaaS business had went down and then with that it got much harder to talk to VCs and we figured out with our shareholders and investors rather quickly that we, I think it was around April 22, that Series B is not going to happen in 22, probably also not in 23. Let's just rather reduce burn significantly. Let's, you know, try to be more frugal with the money that we have and maybe see how difficult will it be to get to profitability. And we've done this, I think a year later, we had our first profitable month. So it was quite a, yeah, how should I put it, effort some journey. So we had to put in a lot of work. Obviously we had to also be, we've been really transparent with you know colleagues that have been there at this time. And we also lost some colleagues because they've decided okay this is not the right place to be at for this at this stage um so through that we obviously also uh, reduced uh, personal costs and then we've reduced our server cost which is our second highest you know cost quite significantly and everybody's done just a fantastic job to put us on this road to you know reduce burn and then i think the key there was also for you know again being transparent about it Like, you know, if we would have tried to sugarcoat the situation, I think in the end we would have lost even more employees and also the ones that we definitely wanted to keep. But with being that transparent, we we were kind of having a good idea of who's really going to stick to this and who's really going to follow through and push through. And that's, I think, it's a subtle thing, but that's really also what was really helpful for us as a founder team to know who can we actually count on to, to go through with this. And, uh, yeah, it's not that quantifiable, but for me, it was like personally really helpful to know, okay, who can we push through with, uh, who will stick, stick to this vision also that we had. And because also that was important, like we, we didn't, you know, say just because we're going for profitability doesn't mean that we still, that we, we kind of lost track of our vision to, you know, have the best marketing measurement solution out there and push that through. But yeah, as you said, like we didn't, we, we reduced all paid marketing costs. We, you know, started thinking about what can we do organically. We, at, at the beginning of this year, we started doing a LinkedIn live event, which is being put out every week. Uh, we thought, I have had some experience with podcasts, also in a more or less semi-professional way. And what I kind of, I, I enjoyed it a lot, like being on the podcast, but what I didn't enjoy about it is all the time for preparation and you know, having to get guests and it. And then you, I mean, it would be sent out every every two weeks. The podcast would mm-hmm. be released every two weeks. So there would be a new episode every two weeks. But we recorded it in a, you know, in a one month, we might record four sessions, for example. Then another month, there would be no recording at all. And with podcasts, my experience at least was the, the it, it gets more flowy and much more easier to record them if you do it on a regular basis. So yeah. that's why we decided to do it on a weekly basis and not that much and, and live. So we didn't have to invest the cost to, you know, cut it and edit it. So just yeah. put it out there. Absolutely. No, and I, I enjoy them very much. I actually wanted to ask you, like, do you see, because like the podcast, 
it's everyone's doing a podcast, right? Everyone wants to talk to cool founders and be out there and like use it for growth, but not everyone understands that it's such a long way. And like, you have to put a lot of hours before it starts paying off. Yeah. But with live events and like what we also noticed quite a bit, because we started live events just because some founders asked us if we could bring more experts from SaaS world to like share some specific information. Yeah, it works. It works really great. So how is it for you? Like, what were you able to achieve with, uh, with something that, well, Again, something that a lot of founders are afraid of because it doesn't really scale, right? So yeah, what is it for you? Yeah, good questions. They're coming back to this, do things that don't scale. So yeah. at the beginning, it didn't scale at all. And still, sometimes we have episodes where just so few people listening and we're thinking, is it really worth it? Is it just, you know, mm -hmm. for us, for fun, for talking? But I would say right now, and even like three months ago, I would say it's successful what we're doing there because we have managed to invite some really awesome guests from the industry some industry experts from meta google and also starting to get more you know more potential guests in from the us and it's funny because we go into the prep calls so we do a prep call so first of all we have to check whether somebody's you know whether we can actually have this discussion with them And they are like, we try to explain to them what they're doing. And they're like, yeah, yeah, I know what you're doing. I've listened to like a bunch of episodes. We're like, what? You actually really did listen to it. So we're getting there now that it's somehow being recognized in the industry or in the you know area and range of experts that we find useful to work with. And we can use it to send it to potential clients. So for example, one of the guests that we had, he was co-authoring a Harvard Business Review article. Mm -hmm. about you know the future of marketing measurement and optimization it was Igor from Meta. he's a marketing science director there and obviously that gives us that credibility that he has then also shines a bit on us if we are able to invite him and have a like a more or less informed discussion with him and that we can then use to send to potential clients that are interested in, the, in these topics to see okay look you know we kind of know what we're doing we have guests uh, mm -hmm. that caliber wanting to be talking to us And I think that's one, one really important aspect about it, not the absolute breach. And then maybe because you mentioned it, one key aspect is this consistency. So I remember my colleague that I do this with, Tim Kleinkamp, and also we do this uh, with uh, Tim Beagles. They were at the beginning, okay, this is fun, but you know, what else? Like, <laughs> yeah. how many viewers do we actually get? And they were kind of frustrated. I was like, no, let, let's just keep going. Like, this is how this stuff works. It's, uh, it's, it's no, no really have to be consistent about it and uh, yeah, consistency pays off with all content marketing things yeah. i guess absolutely yeah. absolutely consistency is something that you that will get you out there exactly. but uh, yeah i couldn't help but notice that well you started talking about like all the resilience and like all the this business threatening events and like different changes yeah. that you went through and then uh, you mentioned social media and how you know sometimes it's frustrating to see like oh my god like we were this was watched by like 20 people is it even worth it and yeah. it takes a toll especially 20, like, 20 might be a high, might be a high number there so we had single yes, digit numbers that's, <laughs> that's true single digits at first only and then yeah like you go to twitter and everyone's like that's my new mrr that's how we grew that's you know we sold and like we got a million new customers and you're like yeah. oh shoot am i behind like it can be such a tall and even though like everyone says oh you don't have to like look into vanity metrics so much 
sometimes it helps, you know, you, you can still get a lot of good insights from your vanity metrics. Yeah. But I would assume like, because you're a founder, it is, you know, it is an extreme toll on you to just go through all the changes and you found the company when you had your twins. And so yeah. it's not easy. So again, this is something very important that we started talking about on the podcast and on the conference quite a bit lately. Founders mental health, you know, how to navigate yeah. all this uh, turmoil and how to maybe find a community or, or a tool that would help you. So how do you, yeah. how do you feel about it? How does it affect you or not affect you? Yeah, great question. And that's something that is, I think, extremely important for all founders out there because you're putting yourself into a spot that is not comparable to any sort of corporate kind of setting or employment, uh, regular employment setting. And not disregarding, you know, obviously there are some high stress jobs out there and, you know, stuff like soldiers or nurses that see extremely shocking stuff. But just, you know, the pressure that as a startup founder you have at the beginning, if you're first time founder, like VCs, investors will put so much crap on you in terms of the requirements, what they think is, you know, how you should run your startup. Of course, most of the times, the ones that have never run a startup and, but know all of how running a startup. Uh, I'm not going to, you know, go into that dissing mode, uh, full, full on this mode, but I just remember one VC that told us, I think after the first half year or year, that if we like, if we continue growing like that, we should just kill the business because it's not worth it if you're not tripling every, every year or something like that. And there are so many other awesome opportunities out there. And that was maybe his rightfully so expectation and, and, and you know, perspective, but, you know, be sure to kind of know what you want to do for yourself. So for us as technical founders, we wanted to find a technical solution for it. We didn't care that much about, you know, whether we would double or triple or quadruple growth. Obviously, we would know what it would mean for the value of the business and requiring financing, but we were always very, very much more focused on the vision and, and the technical solution. And obviously, you can also tell if somebody tells you for a technically complex SaaS business that you should triple in the first or second year or every, you know, year from there on, they don't know what they're talking about because building a technically complex product might just take three years or four years before there's any significant revenue growth to be achieved yeah. and specifically with changing market circumstances. So we learned, and, and I love this term, we learned over the last eight years to out cockroach everyone. So, you know, we kind of like, a, we see ourselves as a, we're not going to die that easily, you know, and we survived a bunch of other businesses out there. And the key to that is what you mentioned, this mental health and resilience aspect. And that is something that is not easy to achieve. And it's what, what was really helpful for me was to have mentors out there, founders that have maybe gone through the same thing, maybe one or two years before I have. I have one or two, you know, extremely close other founders that I can call up any uh, time of the day. Uh, we had numerous financing rounds where the, one of the investors just the day before we went to the notary said, oh, we can actually not invest. So we, we just found this regulation and we cannot do it. And the whole financing round was about to explode. And we could have, you know, just had to, uh, could have led to us going into bankruptcy. But luckily we managed to, you know, cope with all these situations. So obviously experiencing these high stress situations also builds, allows you to develop your resilience. 
And and then yeah, the I think the looking for other founders in your network is extremely important. Just feel free also to reach out. So here's one thing that, that I find important to mention. So if anyone is listening to that, and specifically also founders and, and the into high mental health stress situation, feel free to reach out directly towards me by LinkedIn private message. Love to exchange thoughts and, and just talk. Sometimes just talking helps and just, you know, talking to other founders and, you know, understanding that it's kind of part of the game. And obviously, you know, at some stage you should seek uh, help from professionals. So, you know, psychotherapists or whatever, but just also understanding that it's this high stress, you're not the only one, you know, and not, definitely not the first one struggling with it, kind of part of the game. And yeah. I think resilience is what's so important because this is called a uh, talk on, on one of the biggest success factors for startups. Bill Gross, I can send you the link, maybe you can link it mm -hmm. in the show notes somewhere. Sure. And he makes this point that the, the biggest success factor for startups to be successful is timing. So a timing, as, as we all know, to time the market, like it's only very few people are successful in doing so. And I think it's extremely difficult for startup founders to do so. But what you can do is just increase your time on the market. And then at some stage, your timing might be much more better. Then, you know, so for example, when we started, I think we were a bit too early for where, you know, the market was, but our resilience and our ability to out cockroach everyone was helping us to, you know, be, be in, on the market just for a bit longer. And, and then it paid off because we suddenly people were understanding why they should use a solution such as ours. So I think yeah. resilience, organizational resilience is, is just so key for this. And if you look at the most successful and longest living businesses, it's always on, you know, how they adapt it and how they change the business mm -hmm. model. If you look at companies such as IKEA, for example, how they started and how they changed. Also eBay, YouTube, all of them didn't start with the current business model, but changed it quite significantly at some stage. So that's also, you know, an aspect of resilience. Yeah. Well, I love the term out cockroach. I'm, uh, I'm going to use it if you don't mind. Yeah, I, I haven't invented it. I have to look up who, who I saw this on LinkedIn from, but I love it. I love the term because it's so, you know, so important yeah. for businesses such like small tech businesses and um, to just yeah. stay on the market for long enough to basically the area where sheer luck can hit on needs to be increased yeah. and maximized. If, you, if the area where, you know, a uh, lucky hit might happen, uh, it's just very small, then you might just, you know, have to close down business before becoming successful. But if you increase this time span on the market and yeah, your surface area of being hit with sheer luck, uh, then and, and timing, I guess, timing is just one other term for luck because it's really hard yeah. to get the timing exactly right. True. And we were doing this event in Barcelona and as I was sitting at the table with the, with a lot of founders uh, and we started talking about AI and like how everyone's trying to like understand how to do it, how to bring it to the product. Uh, a few founders started to like to discuss it and ev like all of them said, I didn't know that there was anyone else in Spain that was doing this. And I'm so glad to be here and like to, to actually learn that I'm not the only one struggling. I'm not the only one that doesn't understand what the hell AI actually is and like how it works yeah. and how to use the yeah. uh, API or whatnot. And it was such, yeah. you know, such a good feeling that we could bring these people together and now they have the connection They may, you know, um, go back to their offices and then, you know, maybe connect and, and discuss it. 
so the value of this events is just is just incredible like you said sometimes you just need to talk to like to realize that there is someone else out there that's just like you going through the same stuff so yeah yeah completely agree yeah yeah and you can see it also from this aspect of you know increasing the surface area of you know meeting interesting people and, and being mm -hmm. so to say lucky of meeting the right person your next investor your next employee your next boss whatever and that's why you need to go out there and increase the surface area so uh, yeah Okay. All right. I have a couple more questions. So the first yeah, sure. one is, well, if you have a hack for scaling, because, well, you've been around for eight years and you scaled successfully and you were able to become profitable at, you know, at the economic situation where people were just not sure what's going on. Is there any hack for successful, sustainable scaling that, that you could share with the audience? Um, yeah, so I, I think number one would be to be extremely customer focused and don't care too much about competition. You, we, you can spend endless hours of, you know, trying to understand what the competitors are doing, what their feature set looks like. In the end, it doesn't matter so much compared, to, you know, compared to what your customers actually want, talking to your customers as much as possible, specifically in changing marketing circumstances, because we've often fallen into this fallacy of reading something up and, you know, thinking this is the newest thing that we should, you know, develop immediately, but the market wasn't there. Like, you know, customers weren't interested in that solution yet. Maybe. So we kind of put it, you know, into our vision bucket, but not necessarily implement it right away. So that's my, yeah, number one hack. And I think probably not the one who invented this, but I knew Jeff Bezos obviously also always said that he doesn't really care about competitors, but just, focus on your customers and really, really try to understand what they need and what they want and create value for them. And you, then it's really hard to fail. <laughs> All right. I think that's a good one. Yeah. It doesn't, well, it, it's kind of, it's said enough maybe, but it's not, I don't know. It's not understood enough. Still so many founders are like, yeah, no, I know what I'm doing. I'm just going to build it. So, yeah. yeah and, and again, that's, that's coming back to my first thing with the MVP. And we've done this. I've been involved in projects before that and startup ideas. And we've done this. We've built the best infrastructure for potentially, you know, thousands, hundreds of thousands of users. And then we put it live and nobody, you know, maybe a couple of users mm. tested it, but not hundreds of thousands. So that's so important. Talk to your customers before, see them actually using the product, understand how they're going to use it um, before you build the full scale out system. And not just, don't just rely on them telling you, yeah, it's interesting. Uh, let me see. But eventually, you know, seeing them creating value out of it, see them actually doing it. Yeah, absolutely. All right. And the last question is something that everybody gets. It's what so far your biggest win and your biggest failure for the company or for you as a founder? Oh, biggest win, probably the profitable month that we had. <laughs> so right now we are oscillating just below the profitability threshold up and down. But yeah, biggest win, getting there really quickly and, you know, having the feeling of actually running a sustainable business and with the like technical complexity and being a deep, deep tech startup. The biggest loss is probably, let me think, biggest loss, well, kind of every customer that, you know, might have churned and we would have loved to kept that, that still feels like, 
you know, losses that, that I, I'm also too emotionally involved in with the, you know, client that decides not to work with us. And of course, as every SaaS business, we do have an amount of churn. And that's still um, the biggest loss is not being able to convince these businesses to continue working with us. It still feels like not a personal insult, but just, ah, shoot, we should have done a better job there. And what could we have yeah. done? And sometimes, yeah, as you said, sometimes you just have to accept maybe the organizational uh, structure was not right on the client side. Maybe, I mean, also just right now, to be honest, there are clients that are going into bankruptcy and insolvency because of the current headwind that a lot of e-commerce businesses face. So obviously, but still, it, it, it to some degree hurts and just not because it decreases our growth, but more of, you know, shoot, we could have not helped them or we could have not. But yeah, that's still one of the things that I... Yeah, it feels like the biggest loss, but probably isn't that bad. Yeah, but then again, you know, it's it's just a, like a normal life of any startup, right? They turn, they yeah. don't commit. So it, as far as you cannot, you know, name any bigger life-threatening events, I think it's just a very normal. So, you know, I'm glad you're there. I hope to see more growth. I hope to see, you know, what else you are building for Triba. And yeah, thank you so much for the conversation. I think you've got a great product, great story. Thank you for all the insights that you've shared. And yeah, for the audience, again, reach out to Yanis if you want to talk about yeah, business or about mental health. Yeah, I'd be happy to. And thanks so much, Anna, for having me on the show and being able to talk about this. Thank you so much. Sure. Anytime. All right. Thank you and take care. That was yet another awesome conversation on SaaS Unbound. We're always looking for new guests to share their experiences. We mostly talk with bootstrapped SaaS founders. And if you're one, reach out to me directly at anna at saas.group or find me on LinkedIn. If you're not bootstrapped or even not SaaS, but have a great story to tell, we want to hear from you too. And obviously, SaaS Unbound wouldn't be possible without the SaaS Group, a founder-friendly private equity company that buys awesome businesses that people love to take them to even greater success. If you're thinking about selling your company or just exploring your options, feel free to visit saas.group, fill in the form, and expect a response in under 24 hours.